want to tell you the story about a young man named Andrew, and this is not a story about me. There's a young man named Andrew lives in Tanzania who grew up in a Christian household, Christian parents, very loving household. But you see, Andrew, he didn't share that same faith in God that his parents had. So one day when a charismatic recruiter for the Somalian Islamist group, Al-Shabaab, came to Andrew's village, he was, he was drawn in by the teachings that were presented, by the promises that were made. But before he knew it, he'd become immersed in these things started to believe all this, and then they began to instruct him about the principles of waging holy war. They taught him how to use machetes and guns. He was told that to kill or die for the cause was an honorable thing. Now, Andrew knew that his parents wouldn't approve of this, so he kept all these things a secret. But of course, his parents recognized the change that was happening. So in his anger, Andrew burned his parents' house to the ground on more than one occasion because he became so hateful towards them. And then the day came when the man who recruited Andrew told him that he needed to go home and kill his parents. He said that these Christians were hindrances and they needed to be eliminated. So Andrew readied himself and then he started for home. You see, Andrew's heart was filled with hate. His heart had grown hard towards those who loved him. And let's understand, this change for him didn't happen overnight. It took place over time. And in the same way, there are many people in this world whose hearts have become hard towards God. It didn't happen overnight for them. It took place over time. In fact, for many of these people, they may have even heard some truths about God, his love for them. But over time, they fell in love with sin, with running their own lives. They began to reject God more and more, and soon their hearts became hard towards Him. You see, sadly, the truth is that we, we live in a land of hard hearts, church. We live in a country that, by and large, resists God at every turn. There are many people who don't like the idea of needing God, they're appalled to think they would need forgiveness for anything. The very idea that they should be held accountable for their actions, that, that offends them. So they resist God, and many hearts have become hard towards Him. So church, how, how are we to carry ourselves? How should we navigate through a land of hard hearts? What should we do? My prayer is that we'll find some answers to this as we turn together to Joshua chapter 11. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there and follow along with us, Joshua chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, as always, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 178. Page 178, Joshua chapter 11. Because you see, Joshua and Israel, they were discovering how the promised land was a land of hard hearts. That was going to be on full display for them here in Joshua chapter 11. Now, it's been a few weeks since we were in our series in Joshua together, so I'm just going to recap what we saw last time in Joshua chapter 10. That's when we saw that this coalition of kings came together to wage war against Israel. But 
despite the large number of their forces, just didn't matter because God was fighting for Israel. God confused the enemy. Then he threw large hailstones down towards them and prolonged the day so that Joshua and Israel could have victory. That, what we saw last time, it was this major sweep of the southern kingdoms in the land. So today we're going to see how the northern kingdoms in the promised land responded to all these things. Let's look together. Joshua chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says this. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, now hold on, what did he hear about? We heard about all the things that God had done through Joshua and Israel. All the things I just recapped. He heard about this coalition of kings that was absolutely demolished in their rebellion. King Jabin had heard of that. ...to say, when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he ran to God for mercy and forgiveness. Or maybe we think that it would say, when Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, he packed up everything he owned and got out of there really quick. Instead, it says this. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this, they sent word to Jobath, king of Madon, to the kings of Shimron and Akshath, to the northern kings who are in the mountains, the Arabah, south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills, and in Naphoth Dor on the west. Or to the Canaanites in the east and the west. To the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites in the hill country, and to the Hivites below Hermon in the region of Mizpah. They came out with all their troops in a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. All these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. I think it's worth remembering, before we move forward, it's worth remembering that Israel entered the promised land, if you remember, by way of God miraculously parting the Jordan River, which was at flood stage at the time. Then they went and defeated Jericho. They marched around the city for a week and then God threw the walls down. And Israel defeated Ai. Then the Gibeonite cities that were filled with warriors tricked Israel into making peace. Then there was this coalition of and, and these things were known to the people in the land and they decided that the best idea was to respond by rebelling against God. And we need to understand that this, this is the natural tendency of people. And we naturally have hearts of rebellion. I mean, just look at young kids. Look at toddlers. They could be told a thousand times not to do something. Many times they understand what they're being told. They choose to do it anyways. They choose to rebel against that authority because they just don't care. For example, when I was a toddler, from what I was told, my mom would barricade my younger brother Nick away from me because I would try and hurt him. Because one time I tried to keep him from breathing, as they tell me. Now, it's not that I failed to understand that these things were wrong. I just didn't care. I didn't care. I was going to do them anyways. 
how the good news is that 13 years later, I finally stopped. <laughs> but the point is that our, our hearts naturally do this. We naturally lean towards sin. And from a young age, we, we push boundaries. And as we grow older, we do the same thing with God. I mean, isn't that what we do when we sin? We, we resist his commands. We push up in our lives. Now, we know that as followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives within us. So while our sin nature tries to bring out all of those old rebellious ways, God's Spirit points us to how we ought to live. He gives us strength to resist temptation. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, faith and obedience should define us most. However, for those who haven't given By nature of their unbelief and sin, they are in opposition to the God who created them. And you see, there are many people who don't like the idea of God telling them to do anything. So they resist him in everything. They don't like the idea of surrendering themselves to God, so they choose to stand opposed to God. That's why, despite what we might think verse 1 should say, it's really not surprising what it does say. Jabin went the way of rebellious mankind, and he took others along with him. They gathered an army so immense that the best way to describe it was as being as numerous as the sand on the seashore, with thousands upon thousands of soldiers. As if manpower could defeat God. And you want to know something? This is exactly what people are going to do in the future, too. Revelation chapter 20 tells us that the day will come when Jesus sets up his kingdom on this earth and will reign for a thousand years. One thousand years of peace, prosperity, and righteousness. Now, I don't. But what's hard for me to believe, although I do believe it because God's word says it, is that after those one thousand years of bliss, the Bible says Satan will deceive many people all over the earth who will gather like sand on the seashore to fight against God. That's what Revelation chapter 20 tells us. Hearts of rebellion. Now they're going to have as much success on that day as Jabin and his forces had on this day thousands of years ago. Look at verse 6. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them slain over to Israel. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. So at the waters of Miron, attack them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. They defeated them, pursued them all the way to greater Sidon, to Mizraphoth, Maim, and to the valley of Mizpah on the east until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord had directed. He hamstrung their horses, burned their chariots. At that time, Joshua turned back and captured Hazor, put its king to the sword. Hazor had been the head of all these kingdoms. Everyone in it they put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. And he burned Hazor itself. Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword, totally destroyed them, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. 
Yet Israel did not burn any of the cities built on their mounds except Hazor, which Joshua burned. The Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and livestock of these cities, but all the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them. As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. Let's stop right here for a few minutes. What we find all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is that God is patient with this world. And he extends his mercy and his grace and his offer of forgiveness to everyone. But we also find that everyone who rejects him and these things that he offers, everyone who chooses to live lives of rebellion and sin, they will eventually face the just judgment for sin. Let's be honest. We like to talk about God's grace and mercy, which are abundant, but we don't like to talk about his wrath. It makes us uncomfortable. It's what causes a lot of people to look at passages like this and say, your God is genocidal. At the beginning of our series, we answered that question, is our God a God of genocide or justice? We looked at how desperately wicked the Canaanite people were. We talked about how long God had given them to repent. And now we've seen throughout our land had to recognize who the one true God is and turn to him. No, God is just. He is just. He's also righteous, pure, good, holy. He's perfect. Because of these things, that means God must. Many people, though, think that a good and a loving God will overlook their sin. But what kind of good judge overlooks crime? You know, Judge Thomas J. Maloney was considered one of the great judges in the state of Illinois. Uh, he was often given high-profile cases, locking up the bad guys, Judge Maloney, until it was discovered that over the years he'd received over $100,000 in bribes. Well, now he's rightly considered one of the worst judges in the state's history because it doesn't matter how many criminals he correctly sentenced by intentionally letting even one murderer go free. He's unjust. So for God to let even one rebellious, unbelieving, unrepentant sinner to go unpunished would be unjust. Church, let's remember it's because of God's goodness and love that he offers the opportunity for forgiveness of sin and the pardon from the penalty of it. And it's that same goodness of God that means he must punish those who reject it, who reject these offers, who reject it. They don't want anything to do with it. Just like the Canaanites in the land. We're told many times in the book of Joshua that the Canaanites heard of everything God had done. They were terrified. They knew the reality of God's power, but they resisted him anyways, just like Jabin and his allies. That's what they chose to do, and they would soon learn that mankind's strength can't save them. Verse 16. It says, so Joshua took this entire land, 
the hill country, all the Negev, whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, the Arabah and the mountains of Israel with their foothills. From Mount Halak, which rises towards Seir, to Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon. He captured all their kings and put them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time. Sadly, many of the people in the land chose to rebel and face God's judgment. Some people still choose that today. Now, on the other hand, then there are those like Joshua and Israel, those whose faith in God results in obedience. Joshua and Israel, they weren't perfect by any means. I mean, they still had plenty of moments where they did wrong, where they didn't rely on God. We keep seeing some of those moments together. But their hearts here were characterized by faith and obedience. Which of these describes us most? Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, which of those describes your heart right now most in your life? Can you say or a heart of rebellion? See, those who choose to remain in stubborn rebellion will soon find their heart in a much worse state than this. Look at verse 19. It says, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon, not one city made a treaty of peace with the Israelites who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might as the Lord had commanded Moses. Except for the Gibeonites, no other city made peace with Israel. Now, we know from our study that Israel wasn't supposed to go into the land making peace treaties with the people there, but the point is that nobody else even sought peace. No other city, but those are the Gibeonites. We're told of no other individuals than Rahab and her family who sought out peace with Israel, or more importantly, with God. Think about that. After all that they had heard and witnessed, no one else? They all chose to stand against God? Look, that's more than rebellion. That's a land filled with hard hearts. Look, we've all struggled spiritually at times with rebellious hearts, part of the sin nature that we deal with, but hard hearts are more than that. You see, a hard heart has taken rebellion further. Now, it's... it's it's defiant in its resistance. It's determined not to change. A heart like that stubbornly pushes God away. Yeah, but Andrew says right here that God hardened their hearts, so it's really his fault. But is it? What we find throughout the Bible about hard hearts is that such a heart is first and foremost the choice of a sinner. And when they continue on that path, resisting the grace and the mercy of God, God then gives them over to what they've chosen. He allows that hardness to multiply. You know, Pharaoh in the book of Exodus is a good example. During the time when Moses came, numerous occasions in Exodus that Pharaoh hardened his heart. It was after he had hardened his heart that we find that God came along and hardened it further. In other words, when people freely choose to harden their hearts against God, 
the farther they go, eventually part of the judgment they receive is that God adds to the hardness of their heart. Don't lose sight of all the opportunities Canaanites had had up to this point. God had given the nations in the promised land many long years to change their ways. He had demonstrated his power in many ways so that they knew, as Rahab said, that he was God in heaven above and on earth below. They knew that. The door was open for them to surrender their hearts to God, to step into his mercy by faith the way that Rahab and her family did. But those who chose to instead harden their hearts, they were given over to what they chose. And then they faced the just punishment and judgment for their sin. And we need to understand that the same thing is going to be true today. God is still giving people the opportunity to come to him for forgiveness and grace and mercy if they will come in faith. Sadly, some people stubbornly choose to rebel. They walk deeper into that rebellion, and as they do, their heart becomes hard towards God, towards his commands and the truth of his word. But still, God patiently waits for them to come to him. Because God knows that even hard hearts aren't hopeless. There's still time for them to turn to him. And those who don't will face judgment. Those who do will find his grace. Just like that young man Andrew did. You see, Andrew made his way home that day after talking to his teacher. His pulse was pounding. He got all the way home to kill his parents, but he couldn't do it. So he went back to his teacher and told him that, and the teacher looked at him and said, you can't join. Well, Andrew walked away from that conversation with a lot of doubt in his heart and in his mind about this path that he was on. He said that his confidence began to crumble, and as it did, Andrew says that grace filled his heart. He broke down, realized how far he had fallen, and he went home, not to kill his parents, but to tell them everything that he had been prepared to do, to ask them for their forgiveness. More importantly, Andrew asked Jesus Christ for forgiveness and gave his life to the Lord. Church, God desires that even those with hard hearts would turn to him to receive forgiveness, to be saved, to be changed. Unfortunately, there are many people today, like in Joshua's day, who would rather rebel than repent. Who'd rather cling to sin than turn to God and be saved. Now, Joshua's mission in his land of hard hearts was to carry out God's just judgment. But that's not our mission, church. The question is, what are we supposed to do living in a land of hard hearts? And the answer is that we have been called to point people to the only one who can save them from sin and its penalty, and that is Jesus Christ. As we do, we are supposed to live with hearts of faith and obedience towards God. Church, there are many hard and rebellious hearts out there. Praise the Lord that he didn't give up on us when we were in a place like that. So we shouldn't give up pointing people to Jesus Christ. Remember this truth, church. Remember this. Every time you meet someone who is so stubbornly opposed to God, every time you meet someone you know that person has a hard heart, remember this truth. Remember that those with hard hearts in this life still let us never forget that. 
that even those with hard hearts in this life, they still have time to receive eternal life. The longer they reject and run from God, the harder their heart will become. But God's grace is still available to them. His mercy is not run out until this life ends. In the meantime, let's be found pointing those people to Jesus Christ. Let's be found living righteously in the midst of an unrighteous land. Let's be bright lights in a dark world pointing people to Jesus Christ. Believers, I'm going to encourage you this morning as we close to go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him who is in your life that you could point to Jesus Christ this week. Maybe you've already had somebody come to your mind who's rebellious towards God. Who? My encouragement to you, again, is ask the Lord for an opportunity this week to point that person to Jesus Christ. And if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand that the reality is that you are standing opposed to God and that the just punishment for your sin, and we've all sinned, but understand the just punishment for your sin is that after this life you'll be separated forever from God in a place called hell. But you need to know the truth that God doesn't desire that for you. He wants you to come in for the forgiveness of your sin. He wants you to receive salvation from that penalty of hell. He wants to give you eternal life. The question is, will you give your life to Jesus Christ? Jesus came and paid the penalty for your sins and mine when he died on the cross. After Jesus died, he was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead. And now he stands in heaven waiting to save you. And he has waited your whole life to save you. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And friend, if you've never done that, I pray that you would choose to do that before you leave here today. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's true for you, if Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you don't have to leave the way that you came in. Maybe you know, you know that you've been rebelling against God, but you're ready to change that. Friend, if that's true for you, then please understand no matter what you've done in your life, no matter where you are right now in your life, you can go to God. He'll give you eternal life. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll save your soul. The question is, are you willing to give him your life? There's no one way that you must pray it, but friend, I would encourage you if you're ready to do that, to go to Jesus in prayer and admit that you know you're a sinner. That you know he died on the cross for you. That you believe he didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead. And ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to be your savior. Give him your life. If you do that, he will forgive you. And Father, I thank you for that sweet promise. I thank you for the salvation you so freely offer. Because Father, the truth is there was a time when all of us were living in rebellion. For some of us, perhaps, we had a very hard heart towards you. But you didn't give up on us. We thank you for that. We thank you that your grace and your mercy are abundant. I pray that you would help us as a church be faithful to share that with other people. Because there are others in this country, in this community, in our lives who need to hear that truth. That Jesus Christ is waiting to save them. And I pray that every day we would look for someone we could point to the Savior. We pray you be glorified in all these things. 
Father, we love you. For your forgiveness reminds us. Amen.